Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I'm Alexi Lawless and welcome to the State of the Union podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher, research, research, researcher. God, sometimes I get that wrong. Researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing? Uh, we, uh, we have a semifinal in the books. And again, thanks to uh, State Farm for uh, presenting this each and every night. It's just been wonderful what we've uh, been able to do here. And we come to you after yet another scintillating, I guess there were parts of it that were scintillating type of game. Now, I have been told by you uh, that I sometimes don't let you talk at the beginning and you just ramble on. So I'm stopping. How are you? I am doing very well. Okay. I can't believe it's almost That's over. That's enough. It's gone okay. by too fast. <laughs> but I am excited to talk about this first semifinal. Uh, what were your thoughts on it? See, that's all I ask for. That's all. You've developed this weird habit of going on this five-minute monologue before anybody's even heard my voice. So I just need to get a quick hello in there, and then you can go. Listen, we we know that when you get a redhead in a position of power uh, and a position of influence, as we saw with the Australia game, that things things happen. To be fair. You know, you come off of the set and you come off of this, you know, this TV high, all right? And I'm, I'm just bubbling. I'm full of all sorts of stuff. And as you know, there's, there's only so much that you can get out in the limited time that you have on television. So I'm, I'm just excited to get the stuff out. I apologize, though, because it's, uh, you Especially know. Especially when you have people like Carly Lloyd and Ari Hinks who won't shut up. Right? I mean, just blah, 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 gab, gab, on, on, on. Um, listen, this was... Uh, as I said, this wasn't a scintillating type of game. I do think that, that this was, from a, from a Swedish standpoint, I thought it was going okay. And especially, there, I don't know if you remember, there was this point in, this, in the, uh, probably the end of the first half, where there's a good 15-minute chunk there, where Sweden was pinning Spain back into their own end and actually creating some really good turnovers and opportunities from that. They couldn't capitalize on that, but... That in and of itself isn't necessarily impressive, but to do it against a team that we know loves possession, and instead of just being that kind of pragmatic and, I guess, predictable type of team to just pull back, 
Sweden didn't do that. Now, it didn't result ultimately, like I said, in them scoring goals, but there was that moment when there was kind of an open window. And then in the start of the second half, I think it continued a little. A little. And then to Jorge Vila's credit, he recognized that something needed to be done. And substitutions are not just about the personnel, but also about the message that it sends and the way that you change the complexion of the game. And I thought the game completely changed when the substitutions came in. To be fair for both sides, but in particular for Spain. Yeah, I thought Sweden gave a good account of themselves, but they do fall short again. They are on the women's side what the Netherlands is on the men's mm. side, uh, the most accomplished nation yet to win a World Cup or an Olympics for that matter. They've had so many near misses, uh, and this tournament ends in disappointment again for them. But, yeah, in terms of Spain, I, I thought, Vilda, he was correcting a mistake because he rolled a dice by starting Puteas, and she was really off the pace. I was excited when the lineup came out and she was in there because I wanted to see what the two-time Palo Nor winner would do in a match like this. But uh, she she's was not, not... She's just not there yet. She's just not know? there, yeah. And he brings on Paraguayo uh, in the second half. And she just gives this Spain team a different dimension. We know it's mostly about possession and tiki-taka, but to have that one player who's more direct, who runs at defenders, um, I think gives them a different look, which is important. And, you know, I mentioned on the last pod that one of the themes of this tournament had been young phenoms. Mm -hmm. You had 18-year-old Linda Caicedo, 19-year-old Aoba Fujino, 20-year-old Mary Fowler. Um, and you wondered who was going to emerge as the best young player of this tournament. And it looks like it is going to be Paraguay with her heroics so, in the quarterfinals so, and then today. So you say that. Rob Stone said that, which leads me to believe that you told Rob Stone to say, to say that. But wh why do you think that Paraguay has the inside edge over like a, a Caicedo? Well, only because she's the last one left. And uh, so that last impression, I think, might put her over the top. And really? She would get chosen. Oh, you do have I did Mary yeah, Fowler, yeah, who I just yeah. mentioned that. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. But Paraguay is the youngest player left. She's the only teenager left in the tournament. Uh, look, she, and and she is wonderful. To, to your point, she is a huge, huge asset to to come off the bench. She changes the complexion of the game. Like I said, you know her her speed and. You can tell that she was a, a former sprinter in the way that she she uses her speed, but it's not just about speed. I mean, her you know her thought process, her touch, obviously her finishing uh, finishing ability. I mean, that was kind of a poacher's type of goal that she scored that that, uh, that she scored tonight. So, you know, this is and I'll just repeat what I said on on television for those that were asleep and, and didn't hear it. But a lot of credit has to go to Jorge Vilda and this, to be quite honest, to the Federation, to the Spanish Federation who, in the moment when they could have changed things, in the moment when the say the 15 players that said, no, we're not coming back, and it's still kind of foggy as to exactly what the problems were, but they said that we're going to continue on. Yeah, that's the problem. I don't know exactly what was going on behind the scenes. So, uh, And listen, if it was one or two players, you'd think, well, there's his side, there's their side. The fact that it was 15 makes you think there was something wrong. And only three came back. Twelve players felt strongly enough about it that they were willing to not play in a World Cup. Um, so, listen, you have to compartmentalize. On a footballing level, sure, he deserves some credit. His team is in the final. They're playing very well. But, I don't know, there's something gross about the narrative being, boy, he, the Federation vindicated and he gets the last laugh, and, boy, those players must feel ridiculous sitting at home. Well, again, it depends on ultimately what the gripes were. And... You know, they could be, to your point, absolutely legitimate. Do you think, though, that the, I guess it would be 13 now, right, or 12 now uh, right. that are at home, uh, the Dossé, right? <laughs> the uh, the Dossé at home, you think that they were sitting at home hate-watching? 
<laughs> I mean, well, they're human. I, I can only speak for myself. I would be. Of course you would be. It's okay. It's, it's okay to admit that. It's exactly what you'll be doing, especially to your point, if you think that this person was part of the problems going on and the Federation, to be, to be fair, and now... <laughs> they're going to a World Cup final. And, you know, it's just, it, it's an amazing story. And Rob Stone and I, we, we talk about this because four years ago, I, I vividly remember sitting with him and talking about it. Maybe we can pull it up for our, our next show where we were sitting there saying, hey, this team has got something. It's not, it's not the finished product by any stretch of the imagination. It's not ready for prime time, but it's got something. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, like, you, you got to take your hat off to what they have done in a relatively short period of time. It's incredible, uh, the rise of Spain in the women's game. This is just their third Women's World Cup. They had never won a knockout stage match prior to the summer, and here they are in the final. I think they're going to win this tournament. And, you know, we've had these false starts in the women's game before with Brazil in 2007, France in 2011, where you felt like you were watching women's soccer 2.0 in a nation that was going to take over. Now it looks like it's Spain, but this feels real to me. This feels like it actually is going to happen. I said this game wasn't, wasn't great, but that last 10 minutes was, was pretty special. So Parajuelo scores, the, uh, scores her goal, and you think, okay, this is it. Spain's done. No, nope. uh, Sweden comes down the other end. Long, you know, huge ball in the box, headed, uh, headed in, and Blumkist, again, a substitute who came on uh, and it scored earlier in the tournament, comes on again, scores in, the, in this. Now it's one-to-one. -one. We all think, oh, we're going, this one's going to penalties. We're going to be here, be here a while. Not so fast, because uh, Carmona ultimately, on the ironies of all ironies, you know, never let it be said that the soccer gods do not have a sense of humor and dry humor uh, and can be cruel and don't have a sense of uh, irony because this team that's sweet, that built Sweden, that built themselves on the set piece gets done in by a set piece, uh, organized back to the top of the box. She hits it. Now, I, I love that this is a, you know, a game winner. I love that it's a set piece. I love that it worked out. I love the celebration. I love the joy. This needs to be saved, okay? Uh, this is a shot that goes right down the barrel, uh, right straight at uh, Musovic, okay, who we have talked so much about uh, and has had a wonderful tournament. And really, it just goes right over her. But you, you got to be able to get a hand on that and tip that over the bar. I mentioned in our last pod that after Musovic's performance uh, against the United States, we decided to do this feature on the great goalkeeping at this World Cup. You wrote it. It aired today. But in some of the subsequent games, like the Columbia-England mm -hmm. match, there were some mistakes. So I felt like the piece needed to be softened a little bit and, and become more about the mixed bag that goalkeeping has been at this World Cup. But we went full speed ahead with how great it was. I, I, I must admit, during the talent meeting today, Stu Hold and I were texting back and forth about it because everybody was speaking glowing terms about how in past World Cups we've seen these howlers, but we haven't seen any of that this summer. And Stu and I were like, oh, we can think of a few. Well, <laughs> it, okay. it, was, okay. it was ironic that Musovic, of all people, the person whose great performance has spawned the piece, ended up making a mistake. I, I will say, look, <laughs> And I will say that the goalkeeping at the Women's World Cup has improved in totality. I think it's gotten better. But that doesn't preclude them from being howlers uh, going forward. Uh, and, and, but I, I think it's right to point out that this position, this specialized position that we talk about, has, uh, has improved in terms of the shot-stopping ability, in terms of the athleticism, in terms of the priorities and the respect that I think it at times has not been given in the game in general, but in particular when it comes to the, uh, to, uh, to the women's game. Did you think she should have saved it? I do, yes. Okay, there we go. All right. What else? 
Well, and Spain, just to put a ribbon on this, uh, the youngest team to reach a Women's World Cup final since 95. Both finalists uh, that year, Norway and Germany, were younger than the Spain team. But, uh, you know, we talk about Paraguayo. This team is loaded with young players. They've had great success at the under-20 level recently, and it translates at the senior level now. You know, uh, Bruce Arena, a great American soccer coaching legend, is famous for saying that, you know, the World Cup and international soccer is a young man's game. And I think it applies to the women's game, uh, the women's game too. And maybe... I think when we start talking about stories coming out of this World Cup, when we kind of do the postmortem and the wrap-up, I think the youth movement, and this is in a, in a complete time, time a team way, but the, all the Casados and, the, and the, the different players that we have seen, I think that that is going to be one of the stories coming out. Another one I didn't mention earlier was Brutes for the Netherlands. Yep. Also terrific. So, yeah, so many exciting young players. This it, it bodes well not just for those individual players, but for the development of the game and obviously these uh, these teams going forward. Bruce Serena, by the way, an interesting name to evoke. He's been in the news. Uh, lately, <laughs> yeah, huh? he's having some, uh, you know, some some interesting uh, times over there in uh, in New England. He has, he hasn't, I, haven't, I haven't seen if they've come out with a report yet as to uh, what the investigation has found relative to uh, the uh, the allegations uh, that have been levied uh, against him. Um, okay, so one one in the bag. Uh, we send Sweden to the third place game. Uh, thanks for coming. They're kind of continuing on in this way that they have been for so long, and that final uh, moment of them raising an actual World Cup is not going to come at least at this uh, at this World Cup. So we send them to the third place game. Thank them for their uh, thank them for their time, and then this this Spanish team continues on to a World Cup in this you know heady type of uh, moment for them and uh, their program. Find out tomorrow who they actually who they play, and I'm telling you, my friend, this Australia England game is shaping up to be a must-see type of event for soccer folks, uh, whether they're around the world, and in particular over here in Australia. We came on the air, and we will continue to talk about this. And we, we mentioned at the last pod that we did how, even in the month and a half that we've been here, we have seen the mentality change uh, of. You know, the, rea the reality is there's a lot of people that either didn't care or didn't even know about the Women's World Cup. Well, now, not only do they care and know, but this Australian team has brought together this nation, as I mentioned before. And this game is not just a big game. It's a big game for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that they are playing England and all of the connections and all of the history that, it, that, that involves those two countries. I've become fascinated by this. We, after our last pod, we did get a tweet from somebody saying, hey, you guys need to familiarize yourselves more with the dynamic between these two countries. And yet, purely on a sporting level, they met in the 2003 Rugby World Cup final. They obviously compete in the Ashes, big cricket rivals. So there's that. But the overall history between the two countries, I, in one of our days off, I went to the Hyde, uh, Park Barracks, uh, which is where the British house the convicts that they would send to Sydney, and it's been turned into a museum now that tells you about the whole history of it. And so I did a lot of research on, obviously, Australia was a colony, and then it's now part of the Commonwealth. And so, yeah, it is a complicated history that these two countries have with each other, so it is another element of this game. We're not going to get into that too much in the uh, pregame show no, tomorrow. No. We talked about it in their production meeting today. We just felt like that would be veering too far off the beaten path. So we'll allude to it in passing, but we're going to keep it to the soccer. But yeah, it is fascinating. It is. And, you know, England, obviously the European champs, uh, they get to play potentially the spoilers of, you know, what is shaping up to be one of the great moments in Australian history let alone sports history, let alone soccer history. So that's how big this, uh, this game is. It's happening here in Sydney, 70,000 people. Uh, it's going uh, to be pretty, pretty, cool, pretty cool to see. And ultimately, what's at stake? 
at a trip to the uh, to the final. And for this host team, they have already harnessed all of this uh, this energy. But they got to do it again because they're coming off of the euphoria of the penalty kick uh, win and going on. And now England is a very, very different type of opposition. And uh, Australia's coach, Tony Gustafson, we keep uh, checking in these press conferences for any signs of whether Sam Kerr will start or not. And he's mastered the art of saying something that sounds really juicy. And then when you take a step back, you're like, well, <laughs> he didn't really right. say anything there. Right. If, if Sam Kerr has breakfast, then the potential for her to start exists or something like that. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 a little, it's a little strange in the way that they are talking about it. But, and, but the debate rages on as to we, what we've seen with Sam right now, uh, with Sam Kerr so far. And it has been in a substitute capacity. Uh, and he even admitted that they played her more in the last game than they probably anticipated or wanted to. And so do you start her and just let her go as, as much as she can? Because I think the general consensus is while she could burn it and try to go 90, let alone 120, she's just not there and not ready. And so, for example, our Ari Hink says, you start her and you just let her go as, as long as you can and you get the maximum that you can right from the first whistle as opposed to, you know, someone uh, like Carly Lloyd uh, or someone else that would say, well... Let's just hold off, and that's a really nice card to play. I mean, arguably the greatest goal scorer in the world coming, coming off the bench. I don't I, – I think, I think I am of the opinion that you hold off. And, and like I say, you just keep that there as long as you possibly can and see how it goes. And if it goes great, fine. England's also thinking, oh, my God, not only are we losing here or things aren't going well, but we also have Sam Kerr possibly coming off the bench. Or if it doesn't go well – you have that card to play that can fundamentally change the game. And for England, once again, without Lauren James, she got a two-match suspension for yep. that red card against Nigeria. Now, you were pretty adamant on the air today that you do not want England to win this World Cup. <laughs> you know, I have a, a long and uh, I guess it would be complicated history with, with my friends over there in England. I, I love them. I, you know, I am of a generation that grew up being heavily, heavily influenced by England. Um, but I'm also a, of a generation that grew up being kind of schooled and told that if it isn't English, it's not of quality. And certainly if it's, of, if it's American, it's not of quality. And pushing back on, on that. And I'm from a generation that if you had an English accent, it denoted, uh, it denoted credibility or authenticity. <laughs> and you know, all of that is, you know, that, this is my baggage. Um, but anybody but England, Mossy. Anybody but England. Uh, so, you know, this is a uh, Australia, you are possibly our, our only hope, or at least my only hope. So, you know, don't do it for, or for Australia. Don't do it for soccer or anything like that. Do it for me, Australia. I cannot have England win a World Cup. You think that they are insufferable now as a team and as a country? Sweet mother of God, can you imagine if they win the World Cup and at the expense of Australia? Having said all of that, Masi, um, this is a tall task for the hosts here. They have to, like I said, you know, rejuvenate and you know, that re-harness, if you will, what they had in the last game, and this is a totally different environment against a totally different type of uh, type of team. But if they can, and they are able to go to the final of the World Cup, and in doing so, knock out England, mwah, 
I don't know how you say that in Australia or Australian, but mwah, that would just be chef's kiss wonderful. So if there is a soccer god in heaven, please just grant me this. This is all I ask. And as we talked about in our last pod, Australia did beat England uh, in April in Brentford in a warm-up match, 2-0. England's only defeat under Serena Vigman. They're only lost in the last 37 games, so... We'll That's Serena that Bigman. She's good. She's good. I, you know. You know, she did the the European Championship, reaching the World Cup final double with the Netherlands, 2017 Euro winner, then reached the 2019 final. She's looking to do that with England now. Won the Euros and looking to get to a World Cup final. Jeez. She is some manager. Huh? She is incredible. Wouldn't look bad in that U.S. bench. She, you know, I mean, she would be very nice. Although the U.S. still has a coach, the axe has not fallen. Evidently, <laughs> I, you know. I mean, I guess uh, you know historically. Finishing in the in the uh, in the round of 16, the uh, worst finish in a, in a World Cup is uh, is okay. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen uh, with the U.S. To be quite honest, I haven't thought about the U.S. Uh, in a while. All my uh, focus right now is on this game tomorrow, Australia uh, versus England. We'll bring you all the stuff uh, that you want before, during, and after when it comes to it, uh, either on our actual uh, broadcast or certainly on the State of the Union. Um, Mossy, uh, earlier today, you, you said that this was going to be a Wrap-up of the first semifinal from the World Cup, but... You're, you're kind of screwing up the joke. Oh, am I? Yeah. Okay. When I ran into it in the hallway, I said All right. uh, our pod tonight was going to be a Neymar reaction pod with some Women's World Cup oh, sprinkled right. in. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we got the World Cup part of it, Women's World Cup, out of it. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, some transfer roundup news. Do you want to bury the Neymar thing or you want to start off with it? Why don't we abide by Sean's order in the rundown, which means doing Mbappe first. All right. So Mr. Mbappe evidently is going to continue on with PSG. He is back training, and everything seems to be hunky-dory. Is that true? Yeah. So for context here, in the summer of 2022, when his contract was up with PSG, everybody thought he was going to go to Real Madrid on a free. He ended up signing an extension with PSG, and it was a two-year contract with a player option for a third year. And PSG claimed they had an understanding that Mbappe was going to exercise that option, but then PSG would sell him after two years. In other words, they would get two years out of him and get money for him because he had added that extra year to his contract so he wouldn't be able to leave for free. They claimed they had this understanding with him. So the reason they were so upset when he decided not to exercise the option is because uh, they felt like he was betraying them and putting them in this weird spot where to get money from him, they were going to have to what's the point of sell him this though? summer and only have gotten one more season out of him or to get the two seasons they thought they were promised, then lose him for free. So what seems to have happened is he's backtracked on that, and we're going to go back to the original plan. I still think he, the way this plays out is he's going to sign a contract for the next couple of years, but with an understanding that they are going to sell him to Real Madrid next summer. So he's going to play out one more year with PSG, and then I think that's – the way this is going to go. But I don't understand why wouldn't you just have him or why wouldn't you just be adamant that he signed a three-year contract if the whole point is that you don't want to lose him for nothing? Why are you relying on him to exercise I agree. the actual... That's a very fair point. This is insane. <laughs> this is insane. But, you know, it is interesting that 
the Mbappe news of him being reintegrated to the team came a day after the Neymar news of him leaving. So everybody put two and two together and, and felt like that was sort of the last domino they needed to fall for Mbappe to be content to go back and play for PSG because he wanted Neymar gone in the worst way. Um, so he did get his wish. So we'll move on to that story. Neymar not headed to MLS, nor is he staying in Europe. He is going to Saudi Arabia to play for Al-Hilal. They're paying, it sounds like, about a 100 million euro transfer fee to PSG to get him. And then they've given Neymar, reportedly, a two-year, 320 million euro contract. So he'll make 160 per year. He also gets a private jet. He gets a... Uh, full hotel staff at a service 24 hours a day, plus he gets bonuses for each win and bonuses for each Instagram post in which he speaks uh, positively about Saudi Arabia. This is insane. This is insane. I mean, good for him. If, if well, it's good, good work if you can get it, I suppose. But, but, I mean, he is being heavily criticized for this move, and not just by the usual suspects, even people who consider themselves Neymar fans who have defended him over the years. I've seen a lot of this on Twitter. People say, I give up. I can't defend this guy anymore. People can't believe that at 31 years of age and still with plenty to prove that he would pack up and go to Saudi Arabia. Now, I want to ask you, mm. uh, I, I have some thoughts on it from a Neymar perspective, but I do, I do want to ask you from an MLS perspective because a lot of MLS fans are lamenting that they missed out on Neymar and some of these other players and the fact that Saudi Arabia is taking some players away that would have otherwise have finished their careers in MLS. Right. And to what degree is Saudi Arabia a rival of MLS? Um, how do you see that dynamic right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, they are taking players away that would, you know, obviously entertain offers from MLS. And I would think that MLS, someone like Neymar, they would want to have someone like Neymar. And I would want to see someone like Neymar in Major League Soccer. Um, how much of a competitor is the Saudi Arabian League? I, I don't think about nor watch the Saudi Arabian League uh, in terms of my daily diet of soccer, and I don't think that I'm I'm alone. Now, obviously, with my MLS, you know, wearing my MLS heart on my sleeve, that's going to be part of uh, of who I am. I I don't know what the I don't know ultimately what the end game is for this Saudi Arabia League. I mean, if they are hoping to become, you know, the EPL, I mean, that's 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 dumb. But a a viable and credible and authentic league that people around the world think of, you know, this is obviously one way to do it, but is it sustainable? We talk about China, we talk about different things that have happened, uh, different happened in the past. By the way, and, and I know this may be, <laughs> may be sacrilege, but if they want to appeal to a global audience, because I was looking, I, I, you know, now, maybe this, is, this shows you the effect. I was actually looking through the standings, looking through the Saudi Arabian League standings and seeing all. Now, almost every single team is al, 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 al. And I know, you know that from a cultural perspective, that is what is done. I would think if they wanted to you know, expand the brand, if they wanted to be global, they would take off the owls at the beginning and just be whatever the second ones are. And that's what the team name is, because it... I would think the way that it looks and the aesthetic of it, that might be something that would be interesting, you know? So I don't know. I don't think that they're going to take any of my advice going forward. But it differentiates a lot of the teams optically, the way that you are looking at standings. I couldn't help thinking every single one. had. There was one that didn't have all. All of them had all. 
if you take those off and just have those teams there, then from a branding perspective, I just think it looks, uh, it looks cleaner. Ultimately, is this going to change the way that the world thinks about not just Saudi Arabian soccer, but Saudi Arabia, which is part of the plan. I mean, if you're getting $500 million or $500,000 every single time he uh, Instagrams a uh, positive comment about Saudi Arabia, then it's not just about soccer. This is about putting the best foot forward of what Saudi Arabia is. I don't know. All right, so from Neymar's perspective, by the way, there is a precedent here. Mm -hmm. uh, my father's favorite all-time player, Rivellino, uh, went to Saudi Arabia in the late 70s, around the same age that Neymar is going now after having played in three World Cups as well. Um, but listen, you can criticize the decision itself. There's a feeling that he could have waited until the end of the transfer window and maybe something would have popped in, in Europe. Uh, and even if it didn't, why not stay at PSG another season, even though they don't want you? Isn't that a lesser of two evils than so, going so, to Saudi Arabia? So you don't think anything, you don't think he had any other options in Europe? Well, I think, but I think the larger issue is that. Uh, is it's everything that's transpired in the last few years to make Neymar such damaged goods that the current team he was on wanted no part of him and that there wasn't all that much interest from anywhere else. So I really? think that's the larger conversation we need to be well, having. If, if that's true, yeah. then how the mighty have fallen. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this was at one point not only one of the great players and arguably the great player, greatest player in the world. No, you know, I mean, Messi was playing everything, but maybe arguably the most creative and you know, flareful type of player in the world. So you're saying that you don't think that he got a lot of uh, I don't think he, I don't there. think he had any other option. Now, like I said, he could have waited till yeah. the end of the transfer window. Maybe something would have popped. But as if he was going to make a decision right now, this was it. I, I, nobody else stepped up. Even Barcelona wasn't interested in him. So it's sad. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of tweets today about, boy, if you had told me circa 2015 when Neymar was part of that MSN front line and winning Champions League titles with Barcelona that this is where he'd be at 31 years of age, banished to Saudi Arabia because nobody in Europe wants him. I mean, you wouldn't... All right, well, it's going to be just fine. It's not like he's, you know, off the... But it is going to be interesting what this means for the Brazilian national team because he claims that he wants to keep playing. I think Brazil needs to move on, frankly, and turn the page and... Hey, what if what if Neymar went to AC Milan? Would you still say the same thing? No, then... So it's it's specifically because he's gone to Saudi Arabia that you think they they need to move on from. Well, uh, no, you know what? Let me get a mulligan on that previous answer. Okay. Even if he went to a, a big European club, there'd still be a question mark in my mind at his age, the injury record, the last few years. You think maybe it might be time to move well, on and build. You've told players. us time and time again that Brazil, you know, there's a, a narrative about Neymar dependence and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Also, that's the other thing. Neymar is not a guy that can blend in and be just another player for Brazil. Yeah. His personality, his style of play, the, the way that the younger players idolize him makes it where if he steps on the field, everything is going to revolve around him and I don't think he's a good enough player anymore to justify that so you kind of think at that point you should move on and give space for the Vinicius and Rodrigo's of the world to really assert themselves all right well Neymar to Saudi Arabia as we said he's going to Al-Hilal but I call it Hilal okay. <laughs> uh, Harry Kane to uh, Bayern I call it Bayern too uh, and uh, so you know for the first time we see Harry Kane in a Bayern Munich jersey, I mean, in this very different light, here is this guy that is this legend from a, uh, a Spurs perspective, and uh, now we see him in, uh, in the Bundesliga. And not a great start. His debut, he came on in the second half of the German Super Cup. They got drilled 3-0 I mean, by Leipzig, once Danny Oma with a hat-trick. So Harry Kane's still waiting for his first sure. trophy. But, yeah, this is a fascinating move for me. I was listening to a podcast in The Athletic about it this morning. They were talking about how this is a rarity of a, a – 
established world-class player moving in this direction. We've seen a lot of those go from the Bundesliga to the Premier League, right. and now Germany gets one. Listen, it's going to make it where this Super Cup result, notwithstanding, Bayern are going to, of course, win the, the Bundesliga again. So he'll have so, his trophy moment. Uh, yeah, but there's some top scorer. Um, and instead he goes to Germany where, you know, there is this feeling in England that winning trophies with Bayern there doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, so it, it, it is an interesting conversation. That's I, I respect Harry Kane more for this move than if he had done other, some of the Gone other to things. like a Manchester United. But I will say this. I never thought that this would happen. This is such a, a because of <laughs> who he is, his personality, it's a very weird move. I, I try to picture <laughs> Harry Kane in Germany, and it just, it does not compute. Not, not from a soccer perspective necessarily, but just like, it's the ultimate fish out of water. And, and, and there's so many things that contribute to that. I mean, his, you know, the way that he talks, his accent and stuff, I just, I can't disassociate that with England. <laughs> so, it's a weird one, but I think he's going to do great there. Uh, he's, look, he's going to score a boatload yeah. of goals. He's going to get all sorts of chances. Uh, he plays the, tr the position in a, a fairly traditional type of way, albeit at the times he does some different things. But I, th I think it's going to be great. He's going to get his uh, wins. And, and think if he is able to come there and bring them, I guess, back to the promised land from a uh, Champions League perspective, how, how that story would, you know, I mean, that narrative would just be, would just be insane. Uh, uh, what a else? couple more here, and then we can get out of here. Okay. So Chelsea not only are going to sign Moises Caicedo, but it looks like also this Romeo Lavia from Southampton, two young midfielders who both chose Chelsea over Liverpool, so make of that what you will. Uh, our colleague Mark Young told me, oh, that's just them choosing London over Liverpool, but... Yeah. <laughs> but if that was the case, then Liverpool and United and City would never sign any top players, and we know they do, so it's interesting that these two thought that well, way. I, well, I mean, money being money, and money is important, and so if, if the money is all equal or a little bit more, and you get to live in London, and... You get to be part of the resurrection and the return with less type of eh, pressure, I guess it would be, or expectation. That might be appealing to people. So because Chelsea spent so much money on those two midfielders, uh, they wanted no part of Tyler Adams anymore. The latest on him, it looks like he might go to Bournemouth. You really? Yeah, that doesn't do much for you? <laughs> well, I don't just do anything for you. Uh, it's a tad underwhelming, but it's still the Premier League. It's a place where he'll start, presumably, so I don't think it's too bad. I mean, yeah, I'm glad that he's playing in the Premier League, and I think he should be playing in the Premier League, but if this was Bournemouth and even Chelsea the way Chelsea is right now, it's, yeah. And then uh, last, last story. Uh, last I heard, San Jose do not want to sell uh, Cade Cowell to Bologna, and that is setting off all sorts of conversations similar to the ones we had about Brandon Vasquez, right. about uh, MLS preventing some of these players uh, to go to Europe when, when people feel like it is the natural next step in their development. And so balancing, you know, sporting ambitions versus uh, being a selling league and, and all the rest. So it's an interesting conversation. Well, it is an interesting conversation, and it's interesting that you mentioned balance because ultimately that's what this really comes down to. And if you are the club, you have to balance the fact that you are in a competition and therefore you have to do everything in your power to be the best in that competition. And sometimes that means not selling players at a certain point. The other part of it is, though, if you become known as a team that is not going to, I, I hesitate to use the phrase, do the right thing, because that's not really what it is. But if you, 
if you p put yourself out there as a club that is going to give a platform from which you can spring to, quote, bigger and better things, and a lot of that time that means a step to Europe, and then in that moment when you can have proof of concept, you opt for, no, we can't do that, you've got to stay here, then I think that you are going to, you're going to possibly hurt your rep, rep, your, your rep in that moment. But I think the other side of it, again, is that it's a sign to your season ticket holders, it's a sign to your community that, yeah, this is important. We're paying you money, we are investing in you, because we believe that you can make us a better soccer team and help us win. And if we have a chance to win, that is more important sometimes than actually you know, making that sale and you know, sending you on your way uh, going forward. So you know, the, the fight will happen, and if you have an irritated type of Cade Cowell, we'll see how that manifests on the, actual, on the field. Anything else, my friend? That is it. All right, listen, we will be back again uh, tomorrow, with, like we said, with the, uh, the semifinal here from uh, Sydney, Australia. I mean, I, I don't know. Where are, we, where are we putting this in the, in the history of, of sporting events in Australia? It's got to be up there right now, huh? Top two or three, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's fun to be, like I said, here in the midst of all of it and seeing how the Australians are reacting to it. And this time tomorrow, we will be, well, we'll be in the middle of the, uh, the game, and we'll see how ultimately how it shapes out. I hope good things. Uh, as I said, Australia, you owe it to me. And that's the most important thing. Anything before we go? That's it. All right, listen, thank you, State Farm, uh, for everything that you do in terms of presenting this. Thank you to everybody out there for downloading and reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the things that you do on all our different platforms out there. The end is in sight, my friends. We are coming down to the end of this World Cup. It's been wonderful, but we still have work to go. We still have games to go. And as I said, some incredible games coming up, including the semifinal tomorrow and then obviously the uh, final on Sunday and the third place game on, uh, on Saturday. So until tomorrow, oh, my friends, you know it, you love it. Size the day!